How wonderful it is to host this podcast for our prayer book unit at Ridley. Uh, This podcast is helping us to reflect on the changes in church services over a number of years, perhaps over the last 50 years. And I have a number of guests who I want to welcome to the college, who are friends of the college, whose conversation today we can enjoy. Both Mavis and Robin are my conversation partners, and I'm going to ask them now just to introduce themselves briefly, where they go to church, what their interest is in this topic, uh, to get us going. My name is Mavis, and um, I'm a um, member at St Alfred's in North Blackburn, um, where I have been for the last 20 plus years. Um, I've um, got an interest in this um, topic, I think, just because, partly because of how old I am and that I've seen <laughs> lots of changes <laughs> since growing up. Um, yes. I grew up in a Christian family in a church and so... Um, and you grew up in the country. I grew up in the yeah, country yeah. In, a, in a rural Methodist church yeah. and, um, and, and since coming to Melbourne, being part of um, evangelical Anglican churches. Mm, you've seen quite a number of changes. Mm. And Robin, you grew up in Melbourne? I grew up in Melbourne, yes, and I have attended St Matthew's for a long time now, 20-plus years. Wonderful. That's St Matthew's in Paran. St. Yes. Matthew's in Paran, which is not a typical Anglican church in that it, li- it is situated in Paran hmm. and we have people coming from all sorts of different um, situations, people who come from overseas and want to join a church where they can hear the gospel preached hmm. and we have students coming in uh, from, we used to have students coming in from uh, the uh, TAFE from across the road. Mm. And, and I think uh, you've had people from the Australian Ballet School uh, for, at various yes, times we did. as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. so we've had a whole variety of people. Mm. And, of course, a lot of them come for a short time mm. and then they find their next job is interstate or mm. overseas. or Certainly. And so we have lots and lots of changes. Mm. And you grew up in a Presbyterian church, is that right? I was brought up in a Presbyterian church and it was actually interesting that when I first uh, attended an Anglican church when uh, I was first married and I heard prayers, and this was an Anglican church, but I'd heard those prayers <laughs> for many years in the Presbyterian yes, church. Yes. So they'd obviously pinched them, hadn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, many of the prayers that appear in, in different prayer books are used by other denominations because we all have a common English uh, heritage in the prayer book. Baptists use the wedding service that's in the prayer book, for example. And, of course, if you've been involved, as I have and many people have, in taking part in services and being asked to lead the prayers, Hmm. you learn very quickly that it's very easy to have a very minimal kind of prayer which the general congregation can't really say amen to. Mm. It's hard Mm -hmm. to really sit down with the Lord and say, help me Mm. to write a prayer 
that is of value. Yes. A prayer that the Lord can use mm. and a prayer that the congregation can, can say pray. amen to. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so to use the prayers that have been written over the years and people have found that, yes, they can pray them and, yes, they have meaning and, yes, the Lord will answer them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. We... We, we don't know much how to pray in public anymore because we haven't been exposed to the good public praying and so it's a yes. it's a downward cycle. Mavis, what would you say are some of the most significant changes that you've experienced in your Christian life? Just listing them, uh, thinking about how church today is so different from uh, when you are growing up, for example? Mm. I mean, I think one of the... In my experience, one of the big transformations that's happened is the move towards informality. So when I was growing up, church was a place where you were quiet and um, respectful children were fed lollies to keep them quiet. Um, We sang um, hymns that were quite formal just to a piano or an organ. Um, we didn't have um, any or many women involved in leading anything in the public arena. Um, I think preaching was based on a text rather than preaching through a whole book. Um, I think the, one of the huge things that's happened in the last in a few years has been the introduction of technology and how that mm. shaped a whole whole variety of ways that we meet. And I think also uh, congregations, um, when I was growing up, were multi-generational, whereas I think we've moved much more now to mono-generational congregations um, and now we have mon- monocultural generations as well. Mm. Um, congregations Mm. um yeah i think i grew up in a church where um there was um a a lot of lay leadership we didn't have Mm. the same preacher every week for a number of weeks going through a series with was the leadership of the services um, therefore, the leaders shaped the service, even mm. though there might have been an order of service that wasn't. It was very dependent upon the personality of the, of the, leader. Of the leader. Yeah. And, Robin, how would you just describe some of the changes you've witnessed? No doubt some of the things that Mavis has mentioned are part of your experience as well. I think in recent years the change from a printed page on a prayer book so that you knew that, yes, each Sunday you would start on a certain page and you'd continue through. That went for a while when uh, I was at St Matt's, but then we quickly changed to the uh, overhead mm-hmm. and the screens mm-hmm. and people um, put the uh, service up there and that was had good points as mm. well as difficulties Mm -hmm. and that that was good but what has happened with the change in time back then mostly people attended church regularly Mm. 
Now, if you're regular, you're once a month mm. or once in six weeks. Mm. And that makes it different for the person who's leading the service to know, um, well, the people that I'm preaching to today, the people who are coming and taking part in the service, um, won't have had what we've been learning and what we've been doing together mm. over the past couple of weeks. Mm. Mm. And that makes a difference. It does indeed, yeah. And um, that means... Uh, that as people have decided that the people who are not coming, they're not coming because they don't want a long service, they want a short service. So content has been cut. Interesting, yes. And I think a lot of the content that's been cut means that do we understand what we're doing? Mm. Do we really have a connection with the God that we've come to worship? Um, I think we've lost something. Mm -hmm. yes, I, when I was first a Christian, it was expected that I'd go to church twice on Sundays, twice every yes. Sunday. Yes. And now I think there are very few there are very few expectations around attending twice a Sunday. In fact, if you turn up three times a month, you're kind of <laughs> you're one of the the senior leaders in a church, really. Mm. There's a there's a, a scholar named David Bebbington who's a Scot. Uh, so a big, a big pardon, he's an Englishman, but he teaches in Scotland. And he's been travelling the world for years and writing down exactly what he's experienced in the church services that he's attended. He's a Baptist by background, attends lots of different kinds of churches in different countries. He says the thing that has most changed in the last 40, 50 years is that there are very few public intercessions that evangelical Christians rarely now pray for the world or pray for governments. They might have prayers uh, about our own personal lives, but they might not. And he thinks that's been an extraordinary sea change, not just mm -hmm. amongst Anglicans. I'd agree. Yeah, right. And it's we, we experience that here at Ridley too in chapel, that lots of our students come from churches where there hasn't been regular public intercessions. Uh, and that's, in his estimation, a big change, and I think we, it probably echoes our experience in Melbourne or in Australia too. I actually think that that's um, one of the benefits of having a written liturgy um, that there is a, an outline in the prayer book um, for suggestions on how to pray. And mm. praying for the world is usually the first thing that's listed Whereas we, in our, particularly in our current culture, I think we want to start with ourselves hmm. and um, not move on much from there. That's right, precisely. But or that, I think, has been one of the major changes from my perspective. Back then, you came to church and the Lord was the focus. Hmm, it's quite a vertical... And... and whether you interacted with him or not didn't seem to have any, well, perhaps that was my situation. But as we gradually discovered that, yes, the Lord wants to connect with us, it became more personal and we have lost, I think, the vertical and we've gone more into the horizontal mm -hmm. so that it's more me mm -hmm. and, and my what, social what needs. I need and what I would like and... Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that's a disadvantage. Robin, you're a great 
intercessor as well. I've benefited from your prepared intercessions in Sunday services. Uh, what? How do you prepare Sunday intercessions? How do you think about your job in writing them or thinking through what might be prayed? Um, something that I heard from a, uh, a Christian who is a very fine Christian suffering from cancer at the moment who said that we can learn little of knowing, personally knowing God, by listening to sermons, listening to scriptures taught and so on. We can learn about, we can know about him, but to know him we have to spend time. Hmm. So to answer your question, it is a matter of spending time. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of saying, Lord, I haven't got a clue. Mm -hmm. That may not be a very spiritual kind of prayer, but that's, he knows I haven't got a clue. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he once said. I don't know. But as you spend time... So you mean by spending time, spending time yourself at home in your me. own heart. Yes, correct. That's me yep. spending time because yep. I've been asked to do the prayers for Sunday. Mm -hmm. For the week beforehand, I sort of start with, you know, back then, Lord, please mm. drop ideas into mm, my head. Mm, yes. And it's marvellous. God can work with with people like me who's very ordinary and I'm not being especially humble when I say that. Um, the thing is that he drops ideas into your head mm. and he makes suggestions and you don't realise it doesn't send it as a singing telegram sign. It's not quite like that. Yes, but yes. things drop into your head and you put it down and then at the end of the service somebody comes to you and says, thank you so much for praying for X. Mm -hmm. or, or, and you see that it fitted in mm. with the particular bit of the sermon. But and you think, Lord, you are alive, you are doing things. And how wonderful that you would think that your own spiritual walk with the Lord is actually the necessary condition yes. or such a helpful preparation for what you might do in public on Sundays. Mm. That's that's a wonderful – if you want to lead other people close to the Lord, then owning and experiencing the Lord's closeness yourself in the week is kind of the necessary precondition. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Mavis, how, how do you evaluate then some of the changes you've experienced? What do you think are the upside or the downside to those changes that you named earlier? Mm. Well, I think um, Robin alluded to, um, I think, partly having a, um, a much more personal relationship with mm. with God. We come to meet together with the expectation that as we meet together, we, we talk with each other, but we, we expect to engage um, Speaking with God, hearing from God, and so when it's it's, um, I think the upside of it is there's a much more of a personal relationship reflected with God, but the downside might be that we've lost some of the of God's holiness and majesty. Yes. So holding those two together um, is is I think the challenge of our contemporary um, worship. I think that. 
um, same with with hymns and songs that the hymns have I think a lot more maybe content biblical theological content the Wesley hymns were written partly to teach people mm. theology because a lot of people didn't have books mm. but um, but they were they were much more didactic but current songs um, maybe we do lots of repetition of of um, verses of um, f- choruses and stuff a bridge and they're very memorable and so they're the sort of things that you can sing um, on the way over today I sang yet not I but through Christ in me because we'd sung it on Sunday and so that um, holding those two together the content and the the repetition or whatever mm. I think mm. um, I think that um, the technology that we've um, adapted to in our um, church services, on the upside, it means there's a lot of flexibility. We can, we don't have to, in the prayer book, you have to turn from this page to that page and back to that page and mm. it can become quite messy. But um, there's a there's a flow through. You can have a, a service that's shaped around a theme. But I think what we lose is is a sense of um, um, that there is a there is a continuity um, that there is something that's um, we we can memorize the 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 um, the prayers. Like I, one of the things that I really valued when I first came into an Anglican church was um, we used the same confession nearly every Sunday. It was one that I could memorise and therefore use mm. in my own personal prayers, mm. Mm. some of the collects likewise. Um, but when they're different every week, you never, you don't remember anything. Mm. <laughs> but they do have a, a freshness to them. So there's, there's, the, the, there's the, the both. I think... Um, Preaching has been really um, of a much better quality, if I can put it that way, over the last 50 years. It's been much more um, biblical, theological, um, engaging with with the world. Um, but I think the downside is that, that some of our current services can be feel like it's a sermon with a hymn or a song on either side mm-hmm. rather than... <laughs> actually meeting together to meet with God, to hear from his word, but to pray, to um, to encourage one another, to participate in the sacraments. So, mm. yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I might just add, uh, you've experienced church overseas as well, mm. and I wonder whether the informality that Australians prize, is that, universally the case and it's Britain chiefly where you've experienced other kinds of churches because Australians are known for being informal and slack and kind of not wearing shoes to church or something uh was that your experience in Britain too um I think English people tend to be a little bit more formal by nature um but but also I think they were the the English church may have been the the forerunner even of of, oh, of of our sort of you know informality um, people like John Stott actually um, having a 
an, an openness to people who are not Christians. Because I think having a two of a rigid yeah. service can actually be really great for the insiders, but a bit foreign for people who are not yeah. believers. Yeah. Whereas, um, like at All Souls in London, it was very open and welcoming and um, friendly and informal. Mm-hmm. And Robin, how would you evaluate the changes in the in the course of your life? What have you really appreciated about the changes or not so much? I think one of the changes that's been important is the rewriting of the liturgy, <laughs> getting the from the English that is not familiar to the people at the present time to an English that makes sense to them. Hmm. Yes, we are very informal sometimes and too informal, um, too sort of matey, but I think we need to have English that resonates with the person who's reading it, resonates with the person who's hearing it. Hmm. And that, I think, has been an important uh, thing. Also, the form of service where people chanted the Magnificat and so on and so on, that was lovely back then, but that was part of the whole culture. But the culture has changed. Mm. And I think this is where uh, we have tried within the liturgy to make it relevant to the particular year, 2021 at the moment. But we've got to be careful that we don't just be user-friendly, so user-friendly that we are no longer some group who are special in that we know something about the holiness of God and something about who he is and how we can worship him but still be real Mm-hmm. And it's be real with one another and be real with him to learn that. Mm. There's a lot of factors in, in thinking yes. about how to create a church service and we might overstress one factor yes. in formality, but we we have to be careful we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, yes. as it were. And, Robin, you've been involved uh, at the general synod level in helping to vote on and make speeches about prayer book revision. Yes. What strikes you about that process? Was it a, a good process? Was it something about the process that you found really difficult? It was a process that, yes, difficult in that I felt, rightly or wrongly, that across the General Synod we weren't really in unity in unity of belief. Now, I'm not saying that we had Christians and non-Christians because I have no right to say that because I don't know who knows the Lord and who doesn't Mm. uh, because we are very good at acting, some of us. But there didn't seem to be that unity. There seemed to be one group that wished to have a a prayer book which could be used to communicate 
the gospel to the congregation. The congregation could use the liturgy to actually get to know the Lord, hear him, grow in their faith in all of that. Mm. But then there was the other group that wanted it structured in a particular way, which didn't seem to be very alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this was in 1985. The Anglican Church got a new prayer book and you were involved mm. in some general sinners before that where those discussions mm. were were difficult, weren't they? Because mm. if you have a written text, you've got to have a high degree of unanimity. Yes. And the Anglican Church has found that difficult in the last yes. 30, 40 years. We managed to create that 1985 book, but... Uh, it hasn't been received everywhere in Australia with mm. with open arms or with glee. Because people have their particular theological views. And liturgy has got lots of theology in it because uh, you're yes. trying to describe <laughs> and capture what it means to experience the Lord and what it means to kind of be part of his people. It's it's. There's lots of theology. At least the Anglican Church recognises that it involves theology, not yes, just yes. pragmatism or or uh, what's most convenient in terms of the musicians present or the technology that's being used. But I think this really points up that when we use a liturgy, it is a matter of, Lord, we've got a congregation here. What is the, in this liturgy is going to, you can speak your truths to that particular congregation. Mm -hmm. And that congregation will be different from the next congregation. Mm -hmm. And so there will be slight differences in the liturgy that you use. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's a tremendous responsibility mm -hmm. for the people who are, setting up the service for Sunday by Sunday. Mm. And it really is getting to know the Lord so that they people are open to be guided by him mm. so that it is right for yes. the different congregations. The prayer book is not our master, it's our servant, and we need yes. to work out how we should, as a leader of the service, this particular week in this city parish or in this country parish use mm. it uh, well, so I actually think using the prayer book takes more preparation in a sense because mm. you're thinking hard about context, theology, and mm -hmm. not just doing what you did last week. I mean, mm -hmm. you, can, you can do. <laughs> perhaps not. Perhaps we ought not. Mavis, uh, how do you think a, a theologically shaped church service, a liturgical church service, helps you when you're not in church, day by day in your own discipleship? Um, I think there are a number of ways. One of them is um, just in the, I think, the general shape of a, of a liturgical service. If you think about it, we, we come together into, into God's presence and and respond to that either in praise, thanks, confession. We we use scripture. We hear from God. We um, we learn more about who He is. We we respond. We pray out of of scripture. 
we pray for us to go into the world. That's mm-hmm. that's how under you know the sort of, and we pray for the world. But mm. um, and so that's that's I think a, a good shape for a day, mm. <laughs> in a way. So you get up in the morning and and you acknowledge, God is God and I am not, and um, to um, bring your life, you bring your day before God. Hear from Him. Go out into the world mm. with His blessing. Mm. Um, I think another thing is the general shape of a, of a collect. This was one of the, a light bulb bulb moment for me when I was quite young. That a collect is shaped around acknowledging who God is and, and, a, and a particular characteristic of God, and on the basis of that, bringing some request to Him. And then for the purpose of bringing glory to him, growing his kingdom, whatever. So that that general shape I just found so helpful in praying mm. in my daily mm. prayers. Interesting, yes. It, it, it reminded you of how to keep your prayers interesting perhaps or how to think about the God to whom we pray and the particular need that you want to pray about that you can kind of match them more intentionally. Yeah, but also for the purpose of so that... God will be honoured. Yes, not me. Yes, you know that that sort of shape. I think um, I mentioned before, but but having some prayers that have that I've memorised that I can recall verses of scripture that we use in in the liturgy, I can just recall them when I'm hmm. on the run. Hmm. I've um, often heard you say that what we do in church gives us a bite-sized experience of what we can do every other day of the week, and it is a little checklist, right? And it, and it. It kind of points us towards what discipleship is in its in its fullest sense. Mm, mm, uh, mm. St. Augustine had written on the roof of his bedroom a verse from Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions the Lord doesn't hold against him. Mm-hmm. So that when he woke up in the morning, the first thing he was reminded of was the basic structure of his day, the Lord's gift, the Lord's forgiveness. I haven't done that in my room yet, but... You'd have to put your glasses on to be able to read it. <laughs> I probably would. That's right. It would just be vague, fuzzy otherwise. Robin, are there ways that you think Sunday services encourage you or train you for discipleship each other day of the week? It's interesting that I have over my life Sundays have always been days when I have attended church. In a funny way, I've always wanted to do that. Hmm. In another way, I could have stood on a particular Sunday and said, I don't want to go today for a particular reason, but it didn't have anything to do with the Lord. Hmm. It had to do with, with my attitude and people and so on. And going and remembering who God is and his promise that he'll change us and to know that, okay, he says he will communicate. And so if one goes to a, a, a service, Lord, what might you say to me today? Mm-hmm. And it might be something very strange, mm. like last Sunday, 
when a particular member of, you don't know, I'm not telling tales out of school, uh, <laughs> a particular person led the prayers. Now, this particular person has led the prayers on numbers of occasions. And have I really felt I could say amen at the end? And the answer would have been no, for all sorts of reasons. Last Sunday, the, that fellow, it was a bloke, he prayed and the prayers were spot on. Wonderful. Absolutely spot on. And the Lord, I'm sure, said to me, Robin, go and say thank you for your preparation. Mm -hmm. Now, you see, that was an important thing for me. Mm. It was the Lord doing something in me. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, yes, yes. I mean, this is a very ordinary sort of thing, but mm. I think if we can, within the services, mm. know that and the Lord will speak in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And we learn humility and we, we learn to be parts of the body working together yes. and encouraging yes. one another and spurring each other on to love yes. and good deeds. And, yeah, we get we, there are so many stimuli in a Sunday service that we wouldn't get if we were just home Yes. By ourselves doing our own private praying, which yes. we might do. We're reminded of things that are uncomfortable or we're put in the presence of people who we otherwise wouldn't mix with. Yes, yes. And we do things together, reminding us that we're all in this together. And that might be saying a creed or it might be a common confession. Yeah. But there are often things we would forget about were it not for that reminder or mm. that that rhythm, that practice. Mm. I wonder if uh, either of you have any concluding reflections on the, the, the experience of your lifetime or what you might see as present issues that we need to think about in, in terms of constructing church services. I think um, one of the current issues that's very, very current is because of our lockdown and not being able to meet so much in person um, and having to wear masks inside, sitting apart from one another and everything seems stripped down and it's, um, it's much more difficult to be the body of Christ, to be community and... I think we struggle with it enough because of our individualism, because of our um, yeah. self-focus anyway, but this, this is something is exacerbating that. I think the other, another thing is um, because churches have gone online, you can do church, as it were, from New York or London or wherever you like, but this is the body of Christ, the people that you meet with each week and so um, there can be the opportunity you can hear someone preach the best sermons in the world mm. and you turn up on Sunday and you've got someone who's a bit more ordinary mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and so that that's a mm. I think a challenge for us to be the body of Christ. Mm. Um, in our local community, just um, mm -hmm. learning to love the people who um, God has put us amongst, and to live our to to be the disciples of Christ mm. 
in community. Yeah, wonderful. It is. It's very true. We can, in a, in a world like ours, we, we make lots of choices. We could choose that preacher on that uh, website or on that stream, but actually, in the end. Uh, we want to be encouraged by the scriptures. We want to hear sermons, but going to church involves much more than hearing sermons. We, we, our job is to love, and in the privacy of my own headset, I'm not actually learning to love real people in real time. And we need to not neglect the importance of face to face. Even the Apostle John finishes his letters and saying, oh, "I wish I could see you face to face." There's so much more I want, I want to. Uh, say to you, but he closes anyway after his page. And love one another. And love um, one Jesus another. said the same. Um, yeah, in yeah. Heck, you can't love one another across technology. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's it's. There's a lot of impediments. So I want to thank you, Robin, and you, Mavis, for being part of this conversation as we. It's a privilege. Thank you. As we thank encourage you. students to ponder not just their present experience, but something of the experience of others. Uh, who've had a lifetime in church and who've learned to adapt to modern conditions but recognising that we ought not to be trapped by our culture as well. Thank you so much for playing a part this morning. Mm. Thank you, you. Reese. <laughs>